Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life. My name is NBZ and this here is episode 88. Bally, again the DeLorean, we're going to the future. Uh, time is now. Uh, how are you doing? It does feel like the future with the Switch, doesn't it? It feels like a very modern system and not and it's not like you know it's not a toy it's not a it's not a it's not something from 10 years ago it's something now and it feels like a really high-tech thing from the future yeah it's great it is essentially nintendo realizing hey ipads existed let's do one of those with things on the side (laughs) it's pretty good um so yeah let's uh we've got things here it's a video game podcast it's about nintendo and we're going to talk about things. And again, this week is a little bit different because I think... Because Breath of the Wild is turning our lives upside down. <laughs> it's literally the only thing I think about these... You know, I, I go and fucking work and then I come home and I'm like, I, I just... It's the only thing I want to do with my life. You know, it's, it's real bad. I, I currently have a YouTube Watch Later playlist, which has 260 videos in it. Uh, I'm like behind on these TV shows. I've got fucking all this shit that I want to do and podcasts to listen to, but all my time is Zelda uh, and it's it's nonstop. So uh, yeah, that means, Valley, that I don't know, we're kind of going probably more deep in this game a bit more um, and all that stuff. But how about you tell people what we're actually going to be talking about on the rest of today's show. So we're going to mix it up a bit this time, like you mentioned. So the first segment is going to be our emails segment. So a few people have this some might, questions. Is this the first time we've it done emails be, for the first segment? It might be. I remember RFN doing it once and being like, wow, that is weird. What is going on? Yeah, it, and it feels weird. So uh, it's our turn to try the to turn the show on its head. So we're going to do emails in the totally. first segment. People have a few switch reactions. And then for our second segment... We'll probably be in an extended segment whenever we talk about Breath of the Wild. Um, and that, like I said, is going to be a discussion on Breath of the Wild. And it will be about the same similar level of spoilers. I think we might go a bit deeper, though. We might go deeper. Because there are things I want to talk about, the way that the narrative is structured in this game and the dungeons. Right. I think there are things like there are specifics that we need to hit. Um, and we'll warn and, you, you know, we we'll need to talk you. about we might we'll divide yeah, it into know, like two or three depending on levels of spoilers and can uh, yeah i we'll i would say bali that probably the whole thing i, I think we're probably yeah i think we're probably gonna go because if <laughs> we're talking about narrative then. stuff we're probably gonna um say so you know it it's not gonna be that deep if i'm honest i don't think look i'm not gonna say but okay we'll we'll get there we'll, we'll get, figure we'll it get out back to you on that one We'll get back to you on that one. Uh, but for now, you don't have to worry. We're talking about emails. So, uh, Bali, let's kick things off. Uh, what's the email address? Where do we go? And all that stuff. Our email address is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We want your Switch reactions. We want to know what you've been playing. Have you been playing Breath of the Wild? Have you been playing on Wii U or Switch or both? Or what else have you been playing? Because we've not really been playing much else. Nope. So... Our first email is from Rusty, who's from the internet. Hey guys, thanks so much for mentioning my email a few months back. Still love the show and listening to you guys. I can't afford the Switch just yet, but there was only one game I ever wanted in the first place. You guys know what it is already. Of course, it's Breath of the Wild. I've gotten the glider and sunk 20 plus hours into this game so far. I absolutely, absolutely love it. The best Zelda game I've played. Even putting Wolf Link Amiibo on the screen is just so fun. So I'm playing on the Wii U. My question is, do you think Nintendo should have given us Wii U users the Sheikah Slate on the Wii U pad just like in Wind Waker HD? That would have been awesome. Can't get enough Breath of the Wild. Such a big game. Just love it. But I won't be buying the Switch anytime soon. Thanks, guys. Rusty. 
Well, thank you, Rusty, for the email. I think he represents a relatively sizable chunk of the Nintendo audience who bought the Wii U and had the promise of Zelda on there. Uh, and this, I, you know, I, I think people have reacted differently as to, you know, the Wii U version and how it runs and all that stuff. But I think it was smart of Nintendo to keep that version alive because you don't want to burn that audience who were promised back in E3 of 2014 or whatever it was, this this game that they were really excited for, and then say, oh, you have to buy a new system for it. I think that would have been a bad move. Um, it's, I think it's the sort of move when we talk about stuff like the Shovel Knight developers still making extra campaigns for Shovel Knight. The reason they do that, Bally, is because they want goodwill from their Kickstarter backers. Mm. You know, it's the sort of thing where Nintendo needed to keep that goodwill to keep right. people uh, on board. And that, um, I did a tweet um, a few weeks ago, and I said that, to my knowledge, uh, Breath the Wii U, sorry, was the only Nintendo system other than like Virtual Boy and maybe like new 3DS, perhaps, and like iterations on previous systems the wii u is the only system that doesn't have its own unique zelda and so a few people replied saying oh yeah it does it's got breath of the wild like that's designed for wii u like that that's that's a wii u game and i think that it probably started being designed for wii u but ended up being designed for both ultimately i think that's slightly different to twilight princess which to my knowledge was designed at a much later stage for wii compared to breath of the wild but am i wrong on that I, I'm not sure because we don't know the internal, you know, workings of Nintendo and how their development switched and, and when they mm. decided to pull the plug and all this stuff. But for me, I think that the game that was the Wii U version, Wii U version of Breath of the Wild doesn't, yeah, doesn't exist anymore. And that kind of sucks. And the version that could be the optimal Switch version also doesn't exist. So here's the conundrum, Bally. With the Switch, you have the ability to take it off the screen, use it portably, but the touchscreen doesn't work at all. Uh, I believe, and I think RFN mentioned this, that the only way to use the touchscreen is to type in horse names, like using the virtual keyboard. That is the only use of the touchscreen in this entire game. And there is potential you could have thought of, hey, on the Wii U version, we give you this screen where you can have inventory management and that kind of stuff. And if you're playing the Switch version portably, you can also do that stuff on the touchscreen. But I feel like the messaging, what they didn't want to mix it up, you know, and they didn't want people to go, oh, you know, the, the Wii U version, you can have it on the screen and then have all this amazing stuff on the gamepad, like the map constantly, like pinning stuff on the gamepad constantly. And really, like, you look at Breath of the Wild, the DNA of the Wii U is all over this because the entire premise of the Sheikah Slate is it's a Wii U gamepad. Like, it's a second screen right. for Link to use. And I wouldn't be surprised if... In the Wii U version originally, you would hold up the gamepad and, like, swivel it around like you do in Xenoblade to, like, view the environment. Or, you know, placing, uh, taking inventory stuff and doing it on the fly so you wouldn't have to dig into menus. It it definitely feels like the relic of that version still exists, but Nintendo were afraid of creating a situation where the last-gen version had features that outstripped the sure. new one. And I, I think that you have to look at this from Nintendo's perspective about opportunity cost. So, like, Nintendo know that there's already 16 million, is that the right number, of Wii U's out there? It's about 13. 13. So there's about 13 Wii U's out there. 
And of those 13, yeah, 13 we use, that's it. Let's say 13, yeah. 13 million we use, yes. not 13. And um, ultimately, there's not currently, well, now there's plenty of switches out there, but there's an opportunity of how many switches are going to be out there. So, so I'm thinking about in terms of opportunity cost, which do you want to go with? The failure of a system in many aspects of the Wii U that only sold 13 million or the system that the, the hot brand new sexy system that's arguably going to sell more than 13 million certainly in its lifetime if not in the first few years and if you look at it in that sense you can see why they really didn't want to invest too much in extra features for the wii u version and i'd even go as far as to say that you could argue that wii u owners of this game are lucky that even a Wii U version came out in the sense that the the the, the cost for Nintendo is mad to invest that much in a game for a Wii U version when there's only 13 million Wii U's out there. Right, so you have a ceiling essentially. Exactly, whereas to... the more money and the more effort you put into a Switch version that, like you said, could have been specifically made for Switch with no Wii U reference whatsoever and there could have been extra stuff done for it, etc. There could have been less... The Sheikah slate might have looked completely different because it didn't have to look like a slate like a Wii U gamepad. Who knows? But they decided that ultimately they... We just talked about goodwill. They wanted the goodwill of saying, you know what? This originally was planned for exclusively Wii U, and that we're gonna we're gonna stick by our word and say like this game is coming out on Wii U, fine. But we're not giving it the extra features because ultimately Switch is what it's all about, and we need to make sure that the Switch version is impeccable. And to some degree, I can see why that makes sense. And from a purely money making perspective, like I said earlier, I think it's that I think that consumers are a tad lucky that the Wii U version even came out. I think that you're right, and they they kind of needed to shoot their own thing in the foot because otherwise the Switch version wouldn't have taken off in the way it does, you know? And I think the fact that the Wii U version, you know, for some people, resolution matters a great deal. So it runs at 720 as opposed to 900. Uh, the frame rate drops are way more significant. I was actually kind of shocked because I was watching Brad Shoemaker play a bit of this game um, last Friday, and... He went into areas, like town areas, which I've been playing on the Switch version, which run fine. They don't have any issues. And, oh my god. Like, it was it was like being back in Havana on fucking Assassin's Creed 4 <laughs> with you, Bally, where it just chugged reference. the hell out of the Wii U. And he was just looking around these places that... And I love the towns in Breath of the Wild, and it feels like on the Wii U version, you can't enjoy them in the sense that, you know, you can't wander around the smooth experience because it's so damn choppy, and that sucks. And it also makes me feel like, now I don't know how processing power works and all this stuff, but surely there is some part of the system that is used to stream the data to the gamepad, right? So that you have the mm. second screen stuff. And if the Wii U version is struggling to run this game as it is, I wonder if there was any problem there with even like getting stuff onto the gamepad i'm sure there wasn't i'm sure they have like separate uh you know engineering ways of figuring that stuff out you know as opposed to impacting the the mm. world itself but but yeah it uh it did shock me and i was like oh god yeah this 
I'm, and really, the thing that has surprised me the most about Zelda is the fact that even on the Switch version, there are significant frame rate drops. And to me, that is not Nintendo. There are so many things that are not Nintendo about this game. That is the most not Nintendo thing. They, by far, out of the three console manufacturers, prioritize frame rate the most. And I love them for it because we get Mario Kart at 60 and we get these really fluid experiences. And obviously with big open worlds, we have this as Xenoblade Chronicles X, they have to drop it down to 30 because their systems aren't powerful enough to run it uh, at the resolution they want to have the consistent frame rate they want. But the fact that Zelda still has drops and still, you know, for whatever reason, isn't optimized fully is really shocking to me from Nintendo's perspective. Mm. Um, because they usually don't ship products like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if that's a product of, you know, the Switch version having to be moved over and how long it took them to do it, if they couldn't optimize it properly because it had been built so much from the Wii U version. But, you know, I I would love for the Wii U version or the Switch version to have that functionality, even if you're just taking it on the go and using the touchscreen to use inventory management at the most basic level. That would be really convenient. I think especially... If this, if the Switch, you know, didn't come out and Nintendo had been more successful with the Wii U, I think a, a lot of people would like this game a damn sight more. You think of someone like Jeff Gersman, who has been criticizing this game, for, I think rightly so for some things it does in terms of inventory management, and all of his complaints would disappear if the Wii U version existed in its original form, because you mm. can just flick things on and off. And we know how easy that is, having played Wind Waker HD. Right. It's joyous, you know? That's you just great. have it right at the palm of your hand, and there's no worries about micromanaging anything. Exactly. So, like, should they have made a Wii U-specific one? For the fans, maybe, but money-wise... <laughs> there's not much this is a business decision essentially like this decision is driven by hey we want to sell this new system versus hey we want to make the best possible experience and look they've made a fucking incredible experience i think anyone who has played this game can say that but it could have been better and unfortunately that kind of knocks against the realities of making money and um you know we love nintendo but they're also a corporation and they're you know they make video games to make money so that's what they do so our next email is from mohammed a who's from the internet with twitch's new option to buy the game the streamer is playing do you think that nintendo will eventually change their monetization shenanigans on youtube if they see a lot of people buying their games because of streamers so here's the problem nintendo are a company run by old japanese men <laughs> old japanese men don't know anything about youtube they don't care about youtube don't care about anyone doing things they just want their copyright enforced they want money um so ultimately the decision for all this youtube stuff comes from them and i'm sure it drives nintendo of america fucking insane because they have such bad optics when it comes to that platform people hate nintendo on youtube like no one can cover their stuff properly because the people the big people who make a living doing this stuff and who have large audiences are not able to monetize their content unless they're signed up with Nintendo in this whole thing. And it sucks because ultimately that stuff is very shady. And I, you know, as someone who does some Nintendo content on YouTube, I would not want to sign up for this program, not only because, you know, they're taking a cut of it, but also because you're essentially becoming a PR mouthpiece 
for Nintendo by signing up for that program. Like, you're only allowed to cover Nintendo games. And they probably have something in a contract saying, oh, you've got to be a bit positive about this shit, you know? That is not what I want, and it's not what I think I want from a lot of, kind of, YouTube people I go to. Uh, but with this new Twitch thing in mind, I'm not sure if you've heard of this, Bally. Not Do you really. know what's going on with Twitch? So, um, essentially... Because Twitch are bought by Amazon, Amazon clearly want to link things in with all their businesses. You know, Amazon, it's interesting, and people have been talking about Amazon recently because Amazon obviously makes a shit ton of money, but every time they make money, they reinvest it into something else and they go off these new ideas. You know, the Kindle was born out of that, and obviously they've got their whole, you know, Prime platform and their video platform and all this stuff. And Twitch is another one of those things where they're going after these, these areas where they think they can monetize. Essentially, Amazon want to rule the world, and they probably will do because, frankly, no one buys anything from anywhere that isn't called amazon uh and so what they've done now with twitch is they have linked uh streaming to purchasing of games so if a streamer you are watching is playing let's say overwatch right it's a very popular streaming game if a streamer is playing overwatch if you as a viewer from that page go to amazon and buy a ps4 copy of overwatch that streamer gets money monetary benefit from that essentially so they are getting a cut of the price for buying that game to them so you know you've got the publisher making their money you've got amazon taking their cut and then amazon are kind of substituting some of their cut towards the streamer and so essentially what this means is that the streamer is making more money because they are engaging their viewership to go and buy these games and there's a lot of stuff tied up with this obviously Mm. and i personally as someone who is very much uh, who, who likes traditional video game media and who thinks there are huge problems with streaming these days especially because the age of these people doing this stuff and the the kind of the their audiences being susceptible perhaps to you know the the stuff that they're kind of being pr mouthpieces for there are some issues for sure and this whole idea that you could take this game that is not particularly great but you paint it in a light that it's amazing and you get all your you know your streamers your people watching to buy it you're doing it for the monetary benefit of selling these copies of this game as opposed to anything else so that i think there are ways to abuse it essentially in a in a really you know um unproductive way and is it something that you think nintendo would be like oh that sounds nice we could make some more uh, money let's y- try yeah. and target uh, some nintendo uh, twitch streamers i think that Nintendo of America would love this. I think they would absolutely be all in on it. But I think, again, we go back to that problem where Nintendo of America are essentially fucking useless because they can't make any major decisions. They are at the whim of, you know, the Japanese overlords who clearly uh, don't understand these markets and don't have a clue. And something like YouTube and Twitch is huge in North America and not that big in Japan, right? exactly i mean japan have services like nico nico which is their kind of youtube equivalent maybe um i'm not sure if they have like streaming platforms maybe nico nico is both maybe it's like on demand video and streaming but they yeah they have their kind of their own stuff but here's the thing like this would probably make nintendo a decent amount of money because there are lots of people who watch streams for nintendo games i think way more people watch streams for nintendo games are interested in nintendo games than ever owned wii u's or nintendo products right especially these most recent times and so it's interesting because you can definitely see them capitalizing and going and going to amazon and being like okay yeah we we think that this could be a thing that helps sell more copies but then they might look at it as 
from their perspective oh so you're giving money to this streamer who's just playing our video game that we made because clearly we're the ones who made it you know and they don't care about transformative work or any of that stuff so i feel like they have an opportunity but they're probably too fucking stupid and you know out of touch to engage with it and i actually to be honest the thing is nintendo have made their cut already right so ultimately this is from amazon's perspective because they are i would assume amazon are giving up some of their cut to the streamer so they are essentially nintendo still getting the same amount of money and amazon are the, the place that's selling the product right so if the person watching smash brothers goes and buys smash brothers off amazon nintendo have already sold their inventory to amazon right that's already a done deal so ultimately i don't think nintendo actually the 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 one area that nintendo benefit is from all these viewers buying it as a result of watching the stream i think that happens anyway right but this is just a way for the streamer themselves to make money off the back of it yeah um so yeah i don't know it's messy um i mean that in and of itself is messy and we've sort of skirted around a lot of the issues with the streaming and then buying the game and like is the streamer say the streamer what if the streamer is playing a game that is entertaining and then playing the game is entertaining because of how bad the game is like people aren't going to want to buy that game and likewise a streamer might criticize a game or is it generally just accepted that people who stream games love the games they're playing therefore they would want the people watching to buy the game they're playing it depends i think it depends what kind of streamer you are what you play um it's we live in a world bally where there are a lot of mono gamers, um, as I think Total Biscuit coined the term, which means that you have YouTube channels dedicated you to, to be a mono gamer. In I know, yeah, I know. Of course, I did. Uh, but no. you know, it's a it's a term that is very interesting. Um, it, we're in a world where Overwatch is something that someone dedicates all their time to, and they don't play anything else. We're in a world where Dota and League of Legends rule the roost, and uh you know call of duty and all these games kind of they they are embedded communities within themselves and it's interesting because those kind of channels i don't think are going to benefit that much right like if you're a twitch streamer who streams overwatch all the time i think the assumption is is that everyone who's a viewer already owns overwatch and they're watching it because they're interested in that game and that person playing it yeah like if i was you know me doing my pokemon stuff I would assume most people who watch my videos own that Pokemon game already, you know? Yeah. There are very few people who, who don't. Uh, so from that perspective, I think the people who are variety streamers, as they're called, are definitely more in the benefit here because, well, first of all, those people are being probably paid to do sponsored deals anyway from publishers right. so they're already essentially selling games uh but you know on that off occasion where they're playing some weird little indie thing and it's really cool in that sense that you know they can you know help this indie game get sold and also maybe get a little bit of benefit off the side um although thinking about it i'm not sure how that would work because all these indie games are digital only so then you have to wonder are amazon building towards expanding their own platform because i'm not sure if you know this but twitch now has a launcher which is essentially like steam where you can open it and it has a list of games on it i have um the banner saga one and two because through twitch prime sometimes you get free games so i have banner saga one and two on my twitch account which is a launcher on my desktop we're in a world where there's fucking you know you play and origin and steam and all these pc clients twitch now has their own so i have to wonder if there's something to that tied into this as mm. well but um yeah, I can talk about this shit all day because it fascinates me. I'm, I, you know, I am a nerd about YouTube and Twitch stuff. So I, you know, I'm not sure if I really answered that question, but 
if we're going to sum it up, I don't think Nintendo are smart enough to get in on this. They're always a bit slow to the party on all that stuff anyway, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, so of course they are. I guess we'll see. But if you have more questions on that issue, we can definitely take them. Um, yeah, our final totally. email this week is from Robert C., who's from the internet. Hey, MBZ and Bally. My experience with the Switch thus far can be described as polarizing, but it's certainly not Nintendo's doing. I pre-ordered the Switch on Amazon for a March 3rd delivery and was given the ultimate test of patience when I learned that Amazon was having shipping problems for their pre-orders. I got the system on the evening of the 5th and boy, let me tell you, that was an agonizing weekend. I even lent my Wii U to a friend so he could play Zelda 2. I ordered the game for both systems and it arrived at his house on on the second, a day early. Even after all that, my patience certainly paid off when my binge session of Breath of the Wild started. I'm about 20 hours into the game and I'm amazed at how dense it is with content. I was listening to your show on my drive home yesterday when Bally mentioned uh, that he went to the shrine up in the snowy mountains as tipped off by an NPC. I had just spoken to the same NPC and was excited that I could go to that shrine too because those climbing pants completely completed my three-piece climbing set. I can climb so fast now. My absolute favorite shrine so far is in the southeast easternmost point of the map on an island. I won't spoil it, but it serves as a testament to just how diverse and innovative this game truly is from a gameplay perspective. Anyway, I have a question for you guys. Where does Zelda as a series go from here? Do you think Nintendo will have to make a game just like Breath of the Wild, or will they go in a different direction? Thanks, guys. Robert. Well, I'm glad you got your Switch in the end, Robert. I have been hearing many people on Twitter in North America who had plentiful troubles from Amazon, who clearly fucked up really bad. Uh, and America's a big place. <laughs> it is a big place, and but you know, you know, we just talked about Amazon and about how they're fucking they're wanting to take over the world. <laughs> And then this corporation, like you would think, you know, they're fucking, they're thinking about using drones to deliver goddamn things. You'd think Amazon would have their shit together, but, you know, launches are launches, they're always going to be a bit messy. Um, I ordered from Amazon in the UK, and luckily, you know, we were largely unaffected by that stuff. Uh, so so that was good. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, the the fact that, you know, we can have all these stories and all this stuff. Um, and, you know, he's talking about this this place that I have encountered and I think I was on Skype with you, Bali, when I got there, and I was like, oh, my God. And you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you, because this is really cool. Okay. Uh, but looking at this game, it's very difficult to see what direction they go in next. And I think we've kind of touched on this before, but we, we kind of talked about it in a pre-Breath of the Wild world. Right. Now that we've played significant parts of this game... I think it is very difficult to go on and make a sequel to this. And the reason I say that is because why this game works is the world. And the world is the main character. I think that's kind of a cliched thing to say, but I think it's very true. (laughs) Um, You would have to create another space just as large as this, but completely different and diverse in a different way because i think what they what they were able to do is they were able to take zelda tropes and zelda locations and put them in a new setting in this open world format Mm. now if you do another game like this you can't just take the same world because unless you fill it with different stuff 
it then it becomes very weird like it's it's your unless you do something like i don't know change the time period that it's set in i mean i think a really changes. simple thing they could do but is incredibly boring is have a very similar game but have fewer shrines and insert stuff like more traditional dungeons but i think that's just the most boring next step that you would never imagine nintendo going in like i think that could be a great game and have a great story and do all these things but it just would not be the same game. And I, you have to look at the jump between Ocarina and Majora. Like, Majora is a great example of taking those assets and then reinventing it drastically into very different experience. A much smaller experience, importantly. Uh, yeah, much more dense. Much more dense. And is there a market for turning Breath of the Wild into some sort of smaller, more dense experience? Perhaps, but... And we should also mention, we're just talking about 3D Zelda. I think 2D Zelda, like Breath of the... Not Breath of the Wild. Link Between Worlds, like, great game. I think there's more to come from a similar format to that. I think that will happen in maybe the next three, four years. I think you're looking at another six to seven years before another 3D Zelda. But then again, when we talk about that Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask jump, it was only like a two-year, three-year turnaround, wasn't it? So... Yeah, and I think the reason why it is more likely that we have a Majora situation on our hands is that Breath of the Wild feels like Ocarina. it's making an Ocarina right. of Time impact, yeah. you know? It feels like the first time since Ocarina of Time that Zelda is has everyone a buzz and is selling extremely well and is just... It is exceeding a lot of people's expectations. So nintendo may be under some sort of pressure to be like hey we need to iterate on this as soon as possible so that we can you know take reap the benefits from people's positive word of mouth and everything i think to some degree we kind of have our answer and that answer is they're doing dlc for this game which means we're getting another dungeon we're getting more story stuff i don't know if we'll have a bigger landmass or anything like that but I would I would think that you could maybe, you know, in a in a follow up to this game if you were to make something that was maybe a bit smaller but had more variety in the location, something a little bit different and unique. Um that is definitely a possibility and I'm not sure if you've seen uh the, you know they did this GDC talk that everyone's talking about about their ideas for Breath of the Wild before they, you know, actually entered proper development and you know, they were talking about the fact that there could be an alien invasion and, you know, and they had these screenshots of Link standing there in his fucking space hovercraft over the sky and it looked really Jeez. weird. And then they had ideas of, like, biker Link and Link with a f- guitar. And I'm like, oh, I don't like any of that stuff. But, you know, they, they had some weird ideas. So I think that, you know, if you're d- going in that direction, I think, you know, a world where this alien invasion Zelda game exists is probably possible, especially if you're considering it a Majora situation. Right. Um, and I wonder if they might take some of those ideas and, and run with them. Uh, it's but. a really funny one. And I mentioned before we recorded that Jose Otero from Nintendo Voice Chat was basically saying, we need a Zelda break. And when I, what I mean by that is he sees that there's been a lot of Zelda recently. So he would say that from Skyward, since Skyward Sword, even in a 3D space, we've had HD remaster of Wind Waker, HD remake of uh, Twilight Princess, uh, we have also had the 3D remakes of both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And then on top of that, although it's not 3D, you've had Link Between Worlds. So that's five Zelda games. And Triforce Heroes. And Triforce Heroes. God. So we're up to six games, even in between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild. So He also included Hyrule Warriors in there. He included but... Hyrule Warriors. We will not include Hyrule Warriors. 
because that's an insult. That's an insult. But that's a whole lot of Zelda uh, between two mainline 3D brand new Zelda games. And we're in 2017 now. We were just discussing it might be 2019, 2020 before we might see some sort of 2D Zelda if you can keep that pattern going. Uh, Like you said, the DLC is coming this year and then it could be 2020. To 2023 before you saw another 3d zelda and i think that you just have to let the dust settle see what breath of the wild does in terms of numbers see what this dlc is like see what people's reactions are to the end of this game which very few people <laughs> seem to be at by this point yeah or those who are there have been locked in a cell or somewhere and not allowed to come out for, sure. for three months but um it's interesting it'll be interesting to see what people think in a couple of years' time about Breath of the Wild. Is it going to be the next Ocarina? At this stage, it's feeling like that, but you have to wait until those feelings and emotions have calmed down and you can have a real step back and think about it. Right. It's it's very it's very uh, electric right and now people are the great thing with nintendo is they've got options they could do an hd remake of skyward sword they could do a reiteration of breath of the wild in some way they could majora mask up breath of the wild in some way or they can just go back to 2d next time they've got all these options uh, that keep the zelda name in people's minds and obviously make them money uh and They've just got a brand new system. The Switch is just out. They're going to want to put more Zelda on the system in some way or somehow. But like I said, they just need to wait to see what happens. And they know they've got options. So it's it's a win-win for them. Yeah. I the, Just the one thing that I'm interested in is, do they iterate on this now? Is this the new formula for Zelda? Because, you know, after Ocarina of Time, everyone knows they got into a pattern. And, you know, that pattern begins with Link to the Past, but I think that's more of a structural thing. I think, you know, your whole idea of dungeons being this kind of combination of puzzle solving and killing enemies only came in Ocarina of Time. Mm. Um, because I, I heard someone else talk about this recently because on Because the Link to the Past puzzles are arguably, like, lift up a pot and stand on the button. Yeah, they're not puzzles. Right. Like, Link to the Past's dungeons, I think the reason we don't connect with that game as much... I love Link to the Past, I think it's an amazing game. Right. But I think I don't connect with it as much as the 3D Zeldas or anything that came after it, is because those dungeons are essentially kill rooms. And they're mazes of kill rooms. And that is... It's not really what I personally like from a Zelda dungeon. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, my point was, Ocarina kind of had this mold that was iterated on going forward... Is Breath of the Wild the mold that we see for the next 20 years? I wonder. Um, so so it's curious, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that, you know, they've just reinvented Zelda in so many ways that, you know, you could have taken maybe three or four aspects of this game and, like, doled them out over many sequels over time. Nintendo were just like, no, fuck it. We're putting, like, 700 different new things in this game. Um, I, I think it's important to remember that, like, the next game is most likely might be a step backwards where they step back on some aspects and refine others like the jump from mario galaxy 2 to 3d world like that's taking a game that's going for the real out there sort of ideas that this game is doing breath of the wild and then just completely stepping back and saying actually mario we've made this game 3d land we're going to iterate on that for the wii u and it's going to do all these really sort of fairly simple things uh but we're just going to really refine it and do it well and it's going to be a great game but ultimately it's not going to make the same headlines that galaxy 2 did and they sort of went for that and i I wouldn't be surprised if 
Zelda does that in some degree where they do feel like they need to go back and do something more like a traditional dungeon or just add a bit of linearity in aspects just to like remind fans that they can still make a traditional Zelda. It's really difficult to sort of think about and what they're going to do next. But then continuing with that Mario analogy, look at like what Mario Odyssey might be. It's looking like crazy you know like it's almost like the breath of the wild of the mario series potentially we don't know yet but it's it's looking like it's doing more innovative things and i think once you have a big burst of innovation it can be scary what you do after that burst of innovation whether right like have you just kind of run yourself dry yeah um so yeah troublesome but uh I'm excited to to see you know I look I'd, it's it's the wrong time to be talking about the next Zelda right yeah. now you know <laughs> like this has just come out let's just just play this game and enjoy it you know uh, so oh boy so yeah um, we will continue to play this game and enjoy it in fact because that is what we're going to talk about the next section of the show uh, so you know some some spoilers ahead I guess if you want to save this for later we're not going to go incredibly deep but we'll talk about dungeons. Uh, we'll talk about the the way the narrative works in this game. So if you don't know all that stuff, um, maybe maybe drop out. But uh, we'll be back here uh, next week or next two weeks for you with more stuff. But uh, after the break, join us again for more Zelda Breath of the Wild chat. We'll be right back. everyone welcome back to the second part of the show uh, again it's weird times bally just this zelda game is so all encapsulating and enormous uh, that it is taking up most of these uh, two shows that we've done recently it's taking up uh, a, a, a ton and, and we should also mention that we're recording a bit earlier but even though we're recording earlier we've still both played an absolute ton of this game yeah, uh, we've kind of gotten to different areas and we have a much bigger kind of idea about our feelings and, and thoughts and certain things. So we're going to maybe go a bit deeper this time. And I should say uh, we have played different amounts, but there are some things we've both done. Bali, you've played around 30 hours, correct? Yep, I'm on 30 hours, according to the not-so-great activity log on the Nintendo Yeah, can we talk Switch? about that for a second? Yeah, let's which mention was that really for a second. weird. Uh, the activity log was something that we were very disappointed was not as part of the Switch's UI. Um, it's a big deal on 3DS. I think 3DS is probably... If you're looking to emulate any activity log, 3DS is the peak 
Wii came. U fucked up because it kind of splits it by month and day, and you can't go and see the total time unless you click on the specific game. So you can't like have all these graphs and stuff. But 3DS like absolutely kills it. And the fact that Switch has nothing, or we thought it had nothing, was a travesty. Um, until people found out that after a Ten random days, period of time, it seemed someone originally it was a week, and then people were like after a week nothing happened, and we were like, what the fuck? What's going on? And I was on NeoGAF, and people were saying random different times, and then seemingly after ten days was yeah. the point where everyone was ticking over. Mine happened after ten days. Yours did as well, I think. Ballet. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so yeah, and so now we can see the amount of time we've played, which is useful. And I believe it doesn't count the time, like if you're basically suspending it, like if you were to sp- suspend a Wii U game, like in the Wii U menu. Um, it uh, doesn't count that time, uh, which is useful because yeah. I leave this in sleep mode and all that stuff. Uh, and mine currently says around 60 hours. So I'm basically double uh, time-wise what you've played, Bali. Um, Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I've seen... A, a, yeah, you, yeah, but, you know, this game is the sort of thing where even if I play 100 hours of this game, I'm still probably going to miss stuff because it's yeah. just that all-encompassing and vast. So... Uh, structure of this i think we're going to be talking a bit more specifically about things uh, we're going to be talking about the narrative and how that is framed uh, we're going to be talking a bit about the dungeons and then just some more stories of our times in the world and, and things like that so uh, we're going to hopefully try and timestamp that so if you're on the itunes version if you just go to the description or on your podcast feed uh, whatever podcast service you use if you go to the description uh, of the show it should show you timestamps for specific things if you want to avoid uh, that kind of stuff um, and obviously youtube version will have the timestamp as usual so bali let's get into things talking about the actual story of this game uh, and the way it's framed and that that stuff uh i feel that i was led astray uh personally by who um by nintendo and by the trailer uh and who? i think the that trailer that they debuted at the january 2017 event was incredibly effective it had such great um you know such great uh, synchronicity between the music and the kind of uh, action set pieces as well as those kind of cutscene moments that were interspersed between it and it looked it basically sold this game as having a pretty significant grand narrative uh and so i was excited that there was going to be a lot of cutscenes and a lot of cool stuff going on and when it comes down to it that trailer shows a significant amount of what amounts to a lot of the story in this game. Um, and uh, me personally, I have found that a little bit underwhelming um, because it's it's not really... It's not. I, I kind of expected that that's what they were going to do because how do you do a narrative in an open world? Right. But I thought it would be more tied to the main story. And the main story stuff, there are cutscenes within it, but they are not as big a deal as I thought they would be. Yeah, I... I... I've loved the cutscenes a lot more than you, and we can get onto that specifically later. But I think that I was always predicting the narrative to play similarly to how it's playing out so far for me, in the sense that if you compare the structure of Breath of the Wild, it actually links a lot to Link Between Worlds in the way that you can pick any dungeon you want, and then there's it sort of all comes together and then you i guess you got the final whatever we're not we're obviously not at that stage yet of this game but it's this idea that there's very little plot because ultimately they can't get the plot in the right order to make it all stream together and i guess most of that plot interestingly in this game is told 
through the memories and right you've done all but one of the memories and yeah, i've only basically done seen them all like two so you've experienced far more cutscenes than me so i would expect you to have said like oh i've seen almost all the game's narrative maybe bar the dungeons you've still got to do and also obviously the ending so yes you've probably you've probably seen most of the cutscenes in the game essentially yeah and I, I think that there might be a couple of memories that are hidden that may be revealed as a result of you finding all of them like unlocking everything i think you know you're supposed to go back to impa once you have found them all that's part can, of the can quest. i say how stunned i am that you've managed to find all of them bar one i i've like i've not dedicated a terrible amount of time to doing it and i've obviously seen a lot less of the map than you so but i'm just i cannot find them for the life of me i find them i find it so hard to are you actually specifically going after them though bali because what i did was i spent an afternoon just focusing on them essentially like that was the my only objective was find this place in the world um and i think that a lot of them are very easy because there are large landmarks and structures where you can be like okay so i know the dueling peaks are there if i I look on my map if i look on my map and i i kind of study the landscape and it you're using your map for this stuff is crucial because the landscape is going to help a ton you know that you're in front of a bit of water you can see like ducks and stuff in front of you so you know that there are trees around you and then there's a little bit of water so essentially you're drawing a line directly from the twin peaks straight out and you're kind of looking distance wise where about that takes place and you as soon as you find it map? yeah okay. i'm looking at the map so so using that you're kind of like okay i have a hunch it's over there so that has helped a huge amount and especially because i think maybe six or so of these memories are around the kind of hyrule field general area now hyrule field itself is you know enormous and there are lots of different places that kind of intersect and interweave but if we're talking about kind of grassland kind of areas there's uh, a lot of them that are kind of uh, in those types of places Um, but the other thing that is interesting is there is a character i think he's called Picango? I can't remember his actual name. He's an artist. And uh, yes. you find him at stables all around the world. I think you meet him first in Kakariko Village. I believe he's the one who leads you to the Great Fairy. I've not met him yet, I don't think. Are you sure? Because I, I think he is the one who takes you to the Great Fairy because there is Maybe. a side quest related to that. Did you just find the Great Fairy on its own? Cause I there, did, I there's... think, yeah. Okay. Because in Kakariko, there's a side quest where he basically takes you there. Um, or he takes you mm. up that hill right. and then kind of is like, oh, I'm, I'm too tired, you go on. Um, and then you find the Great Fairy as a result of that. I have seen uh, one of his paintings, though, and done a shrine quest that links to it. Oh, okay. That's uh, interesting. Um, I didn't know that there were any shrine quests that he had uh, any relation to. I mean, I didn't but... see him. I just saw one of his paintings in a stable and someone said, oh, his... Oh, that. Okay. I wonder where he was standing. I guess it was on the I, shrine. Well, I'm like... not sure if it's even him that has painted that, to be oh, honest. maybe not. Uh, yeah. Because he he generally stands outside of stables with an easel. Like, you can see okay. him and he's in the middle of painting a landscape in front of him. It's actually... Oh, man. I, we've talked about the attention to detail in this game. But you, if you kind of just turn the camera around to his side and look at the easel, there is this, like, very 
small little representation of the landscape you see in front of you just painted by him and like it has a style to it and it has a vibe to it like it really fleshes out his character in a way that you know dialogue isn't necessary or any of that stuff you just see this little portrait that he has done you know you get his art style and all that stuff yeah. it's awesome it's really neat and very cool uh, but essentially the the way this links into the memories is when you meet him you can show him one of the photos in that album and he'll usually hint you in a direction so there was one that i did um yesterday or maybe the day before when i was up in kind of the the northern regions where the the second lab is where akala is right. uh, you just got there actually. um and he told me oh yeah this uh, i've seen this kind of place before was it's um this area that's over to the east and i'm like oh okay so he he doesn't tell you exactly where it is but he tells you it's in this general vicinity and you can kind of go over there and find it and you'll probably be okay and you can show him any of them uh, no you could you basically show him it, it, it's automatic essentially he right. basically tells you about one that is near that stable right so if you're in a stable where you know you're near a memory he'll say that one is nearby here's where it is essentially um, right. So he basically pops up in different stables all over the world, uh, and kind of like Cass, the musician, the uh, the Rito musician, um, is kind of popping up everywhere. Speaking of Cass, I just want to maybe uh, segue into him a little bit because you can find him, and he does this thing where it almost goes into this pseudo cutscene, Wind Waker style, with like yeah. these tapestries, and he essentially sings uh, a song of the kind of calamity and everything that's happened. Um, I know you've come across that. Yeah, he's had... cool. I watched the same cutscene twice, actually, because my girlfriend oh, by accident. Well, she wanted to see it, and I was like, yeah, it's it's okay. I don't know. It's, it's nice. It's, a, it's an okay cutscene, but... Yeah. I don't see the point in... I've, have you done his shrine quest? I've done a lot of his shrine quests. Oh, he's got multiple, right. He, right. he, like the painter, pops up all over the world. Okay. I actually did one uh, yesterday that was really cool and the thing i love about those shrine quests especially his ones is he basically tells you riddles and you have to figure out what the riddle means and usually the riddle isn't too difficult but the satisfaction for actually achieving it is great like and usually the, the shrine when it pops up it'll be like oh you've already you know like the one you found on the side of the mountain it'll be like oh you've uh You've already uh, proved your worth. You don't need to go through a challenge to to get the reward because um, hmm. yeah. the, the challenge in itself is the kind of the environmental puzzle. I quite like shrines like that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's because you've already figured out a, a puzzle unto itself right. to unlock it, right? Uh, so it's it, the shrine is like the reward for figuring out this environmental thing. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. I've talked loads in the past about how I'm a huge fan of environmental puzzles. Um, it's one of the reasons I think Skyward Sword is so cool because it blends that, you know, outside area with the dungeon and you have yeah. these places where you're kind of, you know, essentially doing puzzle solving in the world. Right, and then Breath um, of the Wild just does that on a ridiculous scale in comparison. Yeah, a huge one. But if, if let's get back to the memories quickly because I think memories. they're a very interesting thing to talk about. Um, from a mechanic standpoint, I think it is a stroke of genius, honestly. Like, in terms of, hey, how are we going to dole out this narrative? The idea of we're taking these snapshots and the narrative is intrinsically tied into the way you play the game the game is about exploration it's about yeah. going to different places and finding different things and 
these photos are about sleuthing and discovering where those places are right so you get the narrative reward for being a good explorer and i think that that is so cool because um you know you're you're kind of you don't aside from that guy at the stable you really don't have any help in this like no one's going to come and tell you uh it's it's really up to you to figure it out um and you never get like specific directions and like the considering how huge this world is the tiny little circle of the memory where it starts shining seems so insignificant like that they would hide these in this yeah. world is is crazy and there's only what 12 of them in the entire yeah there are 12 world. when you think about the size of that circle compared to the size of the world that's what boggles my mind that you've even managed to locate so many of them because you, you might even know almost exactly where one of the memories are but ultimately you have to find that little circle that's the key that's the it's really difficult actually when you like you, you step back and think about the size of the world i i actually think the memories are great in because many zeldas use sort of time and time travel not just time but also yes. re- recalling time to, to create this lore to create this earthiness to the narrative which i think is so strong in games like wind waker ocarina of time especially where you're actually traveling through time a lot more um and this game where there's not necessarily necessarily time travel well at least not yet but you uh, will see yeah. we'll see <laughs> I, i'm not ruling it out um but it's that earthiness that they they develop through these memories with the hundred year back um flashbacks and i love the flashbacks i know we can maybe talk with it about the narrative and that you don't think the cutscenes are that strong and i ultimately really like the cutscenes because i think that like they're hammy and zelda's pretty hammy but yeah I, I really i really really appreciate that about this game the way that it intersperses that narrative in an open world game and like you said i think it's such a unique innovative idea to do that in this game yeah it, when you think about it it's obvious it's like oh of course this is what they did to dole out the narrative but like fundamentally from the, that mechanics position i am a huge fan of it and i don't know that i would like to see them do the exact same thing again i think it's quite yeah, unique and kind of stands out on its own um but it, it's worked and it's it allows you if you want to have all that story uh, you can just go after it otherwise you actually don't need to pay attention to it at all like it's not a critical part it reminds like, me of, none of this game is critical really you know it reminds from, me a lot you know, of defeating ganon the way that you interact with parts of the world in a game like metroid prime where you, okay you can actually wander into parts of the of the world and and speak not speak to but interact with like computers and things that tell you about like the space parts did this this is how that worked this is what happened then this is how the metroids came and this is what happened and you're like oh that's really interesting you can sort of dip in and out of as much narrative as you want in this ultimately action-based not open world some say some say metroid is open world i don't want to get into that big debate but into the overworld whatever you want to call it you can interact with that narrative as much as you want it's not just shoved down your throat necessarily yeah, and speaking of that kind of lore-based stuff, I think the game actually does an amazing job of getting that stuff to you as well. You'll find diaries and kind of uh, books laying around everywhere, and I think in particular the one at the top of uh, Pura's tower, Pura, I don't know how you say her name, the Sheikah girl, um, if you go to the top of the tower, she has like a diary, which essentially tells you what happened and how they got linked right. to what, the chamber. 
the uh, the lab, you know, the first oh, lab in oh, Hotel. Right, okay, yep. Uh, if you go to the top of the lab, uh, because it's kind of a spire unto itself, there's a room at the top, which mm. I believe is her room, and she has a diary in it. Uh, you find another diary with Robbie in the Akano Ac- lab. Um, and if you read both of those, you get these two accounts of, um, you know, the events that happened with the Calamity and kind of their figuring out of the technology that came with the Guardians and all that stuff and them kind of, you know, finding the Sheikah slate and what that meant and... It's actually really well written and has some humor to it and fills in the backstory in a way that I think is maybe more satisfying than the cutscenes. I don't know. Like, I think that there's a there's a charm to that. The the cutscenes don't get across because I'm cringing too hard at the voice acting. Um, And and yeah, it's a disappointment from that perspective. I I think Um, that um, with the cutscenes. I I am probably a very bad person. We're probably not, both of us are probably not the best to ask on this question because I think you've experienced some specific story-driven games that have, that have in, according to critics, some of the best cutscenes in games of all time. So we're talking about games like Uncharted, for example. Like You're never going to match that sort of level of cutscene, arguably, are you? No. They're, they're, they're a lot more... <laughs> cinematic i don't know what the word is yeah i mean they're they're grounded and very grounded uh, yeah you know they they're written in a way that makes sense and obviously they're performed expertly because they're hiring the best in the business and they have motion capture and all this stuff like i doubt that much motion capture was used for zelda you know like it's, it's definitely not that level of production and likewise i as many people know i'm very driven to nintendo games and nintendo based console games and ultimately uh that there are very few cutscene driven story narrative driven games within those in many ways and some of the best cutscenes i've seen are in games that don't even have very good cutscenes like metroid prime 2 and stuff like that I've, I've got very bad comparisons for my what i see in my head as like an entertaining or important informative i think probably the cutscene. height of what you have experienced is probably xenoblade chronicles xenoblade chronicles assassin's creed 4 uh, maybe yeah maybe. no yeah. you're right i think it's like right. chronicles um and yeah some of the voice acting in that game's not very good as well actually I, but... I, I i actually think Xenoblade has pretty good voice acting you think okay. yeah i i like, I like it personally but... so i personally think that zelda breath of the wild cutscenes and i've seen far fewer than you have emmy as i mentioned before um i think it suits the hamminess of a lot of the writing and while it might not be the best voice acting, I think it it still works. Even if I agree, it might be cringe compared to some of the better cutscene-driven games you've played. Yeah, I I have found it hard to engage with that stuff as as a result because I don't think it's just that the voice acting is bad. I think that the writing has taken a significant hit as well. Like the writing in this game that is outside of the cutscene stuff, I think is actually fantastic. The localization is brilliant and there's such charm and wit poured into all these characters. Every time that you go up to someone, um they'll have some different reaction to Link. You'll have some really great responses you can give back to them. Just overall the stuff which isn't voice acted stands apart and I, I wonder what went wrong i don't know what the difference was there or or whether like 
there was something that they wanted to keep a consistency from the English to the Japanese, right. which is I, I, a bad idea, yeah. I feel. Um, and I, it's something that Nintendo hasn't really done, honestly, because they usually, they're usually getting raked over the coals by people for changing things too much from the Japanese, right? Like, that's the, the been mm. their cause of concern uh, of recent times. Um, but... I do think they do a good job of characterizing people like Zelda in a way that is more interesting and nuanced than some previous games. Like Twilight Princess, for example, Zelda is the most non-character possible. She's like dark and brooding in a tower and essentially does nothing the whole game. I mean, it's almost Um, a a false title almost, isn't it? I mean, all the trailers, you saw her in the tower. It's about Twilight Princess spoilers it's not zelda so like right Um, it it was kind of she kind of had to be boring because she was fake i don't know yeah she wasn't really the main kind of character of that game um but in this one you you get that sense that she is frustrated uh you see her relationship with link going through different places and it's actually really funny like Uh, I came across, and I won't say where or how or anything, but I came across a diary that Zelda had been writing in. And there is a part of that diary where she's kind of talking about why Link won't talk to her. Like, they're they're essentially bringing up the fact that Link is a mute protagonist in a really funny (laughs) way that actually ties into the the narrative and how that relationship works. And, you know, it goes on to say that he opens up a little bit and kind of talks, but I like that they took that aspect of of Link being a mute protagonist and actually tied it into the narrative. Um, And there are some cutscenes that you get later on which really show that like Zelda is essentially on this quest to um you know be the descendant of the goddess or whatever like in Skyward Sword how she was you know all holy and everything and you know Skyward Sword eh, Zelda is cool but she also kind of doesn't do a huge amount she's always like one step ahead of Link and all mm. that stuff going on uh and in this game you sense that she really is fed up with this thing and she she just wants to go and you know do her own studies and be a scholar and kind of you know forge her own path in life but she is essentially being held back and is being forced to be uh you know this not symbol this kind of vessel for you right. know power that she has to essentially uh, you know go to these different places to figure out if she can get the triforce of wisdom and you know become the person who can seal ganon away forever mm. um and you know story-wise it's it's not super groundbreaking but and there are be, things that it, they do pretty well with her character it might be a game like link between worlds where i think the story in link between worlds wasn't the best but then the ending was very good and like, I, I mean, it has a nice twist. It has really, a nice. I is what it, it comes down good. to for a two D top down Zelda. I thought it was very good. Yeah, um, yeah. Aside from that twist, I do agree. Like, there's there's stuff which is it. It's not necessarily emotional, but I think that they pay it off in a, in a good way uh, right. by the end. Um, um. So yeah, I I think the narrative has got a long. It, there's a lot more narrative. I especially need to see, and I think we obviously both need to see the ending and if they're might be any twist to this game i feel like there must be a twist they, they, i think there is something up like they have couched this world in a very weird way to me honestly like it feels like it can't fit in in the timeline anywhere that makes sense and the reason for that it's is on purpose because, almost isn't it they don't want yeah, you to work it out it's essentially it feels like it's on its own because it feels like this world has such an enormous history to it the whole idea that 
the Guardians were around 10,000 years ago in this world really put some distance right because mm. you don't imagine there's that kind of that gap of time like ten thousand years is an enormous amount of time um and there's obviously the hundred years thing which happened and that's you know 100 years ago is what you're seeing um the perspective of when you're going through those memories uh and yeah i i don't really know where it's going where it's going to end up it just seems like okay so there were the divine beasts and you know they were the thing that ten thousand years ago sealed away ganon with the hero and the princess and all that stuff and mm. then he's being resurrected a hundred years ago uh, from now uh and that is what kind of is the catalyst for these events right. um so we'll see. yeah we'll about- see i uh i i don't know we'll there, there are still things that I, I hope the the game does by the end. But um, we, yeah, we mentioned at the start you've done sixty hours. I'm on thirty hours. We should also say I've done one dungeon and you've done two. But one of the ones you have done is the same one I did. And yes, I believe it's one of the dungeons that most people will have done by now. Based on mostly geography. because the game leads you to it. Right. Uh, seemingly, like it's not necessarily narratively the way you you have to go but no. the game you know it's near kakariko village which is kind of a flashpoint and it's kind of a place where you think the player would probably uh move on to next and it also kind of breadcrumbs you there and that's kind of the that's the zora area right so right. uh the dungeon is the big old elephant guy and uh he is causing massive rainstorms in the area and it's interesting because on the lead up to this whole area Very, i, I and it saying. was different for you but i kind of was coming across i was going through the swamplands and i was coming across these different zora who were all like oh you're the hylian we need you uh you need prince sidon you need to go and find him and he's over this bridge and go and follow and so you were kind of breadcrumbed all the way there mm. but i believe you kind of came across it differently yeah i was sort of i rode around the wide bit it's actually my first time experiencing hyrule field i was sort of out of kakariko village i went sort of down a mountain not, not not a mountain a hill um on my horse samus uh and sort of rode around there for a while and then went right up around the lake and then around the top of the lake saw a single Sora who said Prince Sidon's over there went on and then saw Prince Sidon so it, I did sort of go around and avoid the swamp I guess um, I, what I find really cool leading on from that is that um, if you are early in the game and your stamina meter is low the game because Ruta the, the elephant is is causing so much rain it means that like you can't climb in the area like it's everything right. slippy which i think is an interesting mechanic in this game and interesting the, in a few ways the yeah. fact <laughs> mind-blowing and blowingly annoying but um the fact that it's raining means that the valley leading up to zora's domain you have to just walk along the valley you can't like come in at the side or some in some way because ultimately it's 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 funneling you down that route and the the rain meaning you can't climb up the sides forces that even more and for me this was probably the weakest part of the game experience so far uh and i think that's probably self it feels quite startery quite beginner like hold your hand kind of beginner isn't it and i it was my experience had been i'd gone to the gerudo area and i'd done all that stuff and i'd been blown away by how awesome it was and this was kind of i was over leveled in the sense that the enemies they're throwing at me were way less powerful i had better weapons better armor all that stuff so it felt like i was going through the motions and 
I probably should have come here first, you know, if I wanted to experience it the proper way, which is they kind of present a gauntlet to you. It's essentially just this linear path with loads of enemies along it, and you need to survive to get there. But as someone who had rolled through and been playing for, you know, 40 hours at that point, probably... I made very quick work of it and was kind of bored the whole time Mm. uh, going past. And I think it's the one point in the game where it has said, this is your only option and you don't have the ability because of the rain and that inhibiting mechanic to kind of, you know, climb over a different area and glide to where you want to be. You know, that it, it restricts you. And I think that clearly tells me, you know, the strength of this game is that it's open and that's why I love it. And the restriction is where I was like, nah, not, not for me. Yeah, and I had actually played maybe, uh, I want to say around 20 hours perhaps before going for this. So I had actually explored quite a bit, gotten a few more shrines than I perhaps should have before going to it. And I didn't find it as easy as you did, sort of this lead up area, but uh, I still found it fairly straightforward. I think I died maybe once uh, just because that electricity really hurts and actually the thing with electricity that screws you over is it makes you drop shit as well yeah and that sucks i lost something quite good i want to say like it kind of sort of fell down somewhere or i think it fell in the water and i couldn't you can't dive in this game obviously or at least i can't yet yeah um Um, so yeah yeah uh and and then kind of you get to that area and the lead-in is interesting because you you know you have this challenge to go and fight the lionel on top of the hill and collect all the shock arrows and um i really uh, you know enjoyed the fact that you get the zora armor which allows you to swim up waterfalls which i was like holy shit that that's crazy it's it's yeah. really an interesting I think Zora's domain looks really cool yeah it's a it's a neat place it's not my favorite town um it's not it doesn't really feel like a town to be honest mm. you know it, it has feels kind quite of xenoblade yeah it does you're right it kind of, it reminds me of um uh, god luminoth no <laughs> we're both fucking blanking now oh it's terrible uh the sea the big old big sea at the top ding Hey everyone, this is uh, Editing NBZ here, and I couldn't let myself live down this embarrassment. So I am going to tell you that the name of the Xenoblade Sea is Aerith Sea, um, the capital is called Alchemoth, and the people are of course the High Entia, all of which came to me in a moment of brilliance after the fact. But, uh, you know, that's how things go on podcasts, your brain falls out sometimes. Anyway, go back to it and ignore all the stupid things we say. Thanks. Ding! Um, people know what we're talking about um, with uh, whether freaking bird people live. Man, Bally, you're rubbing off on me. I'm forgetting uh, everything. Uh... It's going really bad. Um, but, you, you know, people know what we mean. Um, that entire area where kind of the city is structured over this enormous lake and, and you're kind of having these kind of, you know, strings and, and things leading. It's architecturally, I would say, very similar to that. Uh, which is why it reminded me uh, mm. of that and, and why would you would bring it up. Um, but the the interesting thing I find about this challenge is like you go up there and you have a hard time against this thing because you're much earlier on in the game than I am. I, I, and... By the way, before we recorded, I mentioned I beat a Hinox. I also have beat a Lionel, but not that one. Okay, so you did, you know, go after one and, and were yeah, successful. Yeah, I, I did another one. Um, so, so how did you deal with this challenge? So, yeah, I kind of went up the mountain and I was playing with my girlfriend, uh, like Caroline's, but she's been watching me a lot of this game, actually. So she's been giving me that little pointers and tips, like, here and there. And I've kind of had to 
sometimes there's really obvious stuff I've been missing and she's just been like oh what well, it's right there and I'm like oh thanks right okay I'll do that so we get to the the Lionel and I assume that you have to beat it in order to retrieve the 20 hours and then return so I just like take it on I'm like right let's do this here we go and um and I see it charge at me and it like one shots me I'm like great I'm dead let's <laughs> I let's try again, but I'm pretty surprised I actually have to beat this thing. And then eventually, uh, I'm like, right, what? well, Caroline points out that there's these rocks at the side. And I was like, well, I could just climb on the rock, let it charge into the rock. Maybe it like stuns itself. And then you, you go down, hit on it a bit, and then you come back up and you're safe and it charges again. And like there's, there's sort of these safe spaces where you, you can attack it. And like a tra- traditional Zelda game, you know, I was like, right, let's try that. So he spots me like on top of one of these rocks and I'm like, oh, he can't get me, but I'm too high up for him to hit me with his bow. And then he just starts volleying arrows, electric arrows into the sky. I'm like, what's he doing? And then all of a sudden they just like rain down on me and like kill me equally. I'm like, this is insane. (laughs) I cannot defeat this guy. And then eventually we worked out uh, I think I think this was more Caroline than me that essentially you can just sneak around and you just collect the arrows and I you know where all I the, love, the brains are in the relationship exactly <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that at the end um, there's sort of like a cliff that points upwards and then you can jump off the cliff and sort of he spotted me and I had one more arrow to get so I sort of grabbed an arrow and then just sprinted up the hill and all, and then I had to like jump off the top of the hill because he was about to like kill me. So it created nice. a really sort of cinematic, memorable moment there and then, which was very satisfying. And That's great. I was glad we sort of worked out between us that you didn't have to beat him. And he's still there to this day. I've not defeated him yet. So I might go back there when I'm more yeah. powerful and, and take him on. I so mean... I- I love. I liked that whole mechanic in the game. I'm glad I worked it out. I think it's an unusual thing to be stealthy against an enemy in Zelda that you can then come back and defeat later. Yeah, totally. Um, I, you know, I ended up killing it uh, because I had a certain <laughs> thing that allowed the fight to be very, you know, not easy, but like make it uh, a much more bearable affair. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting because the blood moon happens and then he just comes back anyway. Yeah, of so course. Yeah. It's not like it really makes kidding? a difference. Um, but, you know, that's it's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, from that point on, then you're kind of led up to, hey, let's go to the dungeon. And the dungeon, which I, you didn't really know this beforehand, and I had, you know, through the uh, kind of rumor mill and analysis thing that was going on through right. trailers, uh, you know, assumed that, hey, all the Divine Beasts, they're essentially the dungeons themselves. Um, and I don't know when you figured that out. I thought they might be the bosses. Like, I thought they might be possessed and they were the bosses or something. Uh, and I didn't even know about the Divine Beast before starting the game and seeing that first few uh, first cutscene, I believe they're mentioned in. So I hadn't over... And I'd, I'd not analyzed the tra- any of the trailers. Well, I had some of the earlier ones, not the later ones. I was just like, ignore it, whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I assume they once I knew of the Divine Beasts, that they might be the bosses rather than the dungeons themselves. Yes. Um, and so, like, before we get into the dungeon, there's this whole the lead epic up. sequence of riding on the back of Azora while... Prince Sidon, yeah. Yeah, while kind of all this shit happens from the elephant. Um, I think 
you probably do something similar with all of these uh, bosses. It seems like they're following this structure of, hey, you've got to go to some area and do another thing before you then do the kind of the assault on the boss right. and uh, on the dungeon, and then you enter the dungeon. It's kind of, I think, for me, uh, the Zora one has been the weakest out of oh, the really? two that I've done. The I Gerudo one, oh my, the the lead up to the Gerudo, the the place you go to, the thing you do, and then the um, the the Gerudo temple and everything. I think the Gerudo stuff overall blew my fucking mind, and it is one of my favorite things in this game so far. Zora stuff, great, uh, but yeah, not quite on that level level for me. Um, so you've got things to look forward to, Bally. Oh, what, definitely. I, I absolutely uh, love that that Prince Sidon like surfing on his back. I thought. Oh way- no, that yeah, that stuff is absolutely great. And you know, the wonderful thing about that is there are many interesting ways to do that that i didn't even fucking think of so i was just using my arrows to deflect the ice cubes coming was out initially. and all that stuff and one of the ideas i had was to use stasis so i oh, used geez. stasis to freeze the kind of um spike balls rolling at you but it essentially just respawned them so i was never kind of getting rid of them all like right. it was a long enough time uh, of that being stopped and then exploding on its own that it just respawned another one so i was kind of getting nowhere doing that i was like oh god it's not working but uh, the arrows seemed to work and i had a i had like 50 shock arrows actually because i when you kill the lionel i think he drops like 20 or 30 on okay. his own so no, not only sense. did i have all the ones from the surrounding area but i had those from killing him too what do you think happens if you run that does he just send you back up the hill i don't know no i think it might reload you or something mm. um yeah i i have no idea like how specifically that would work so i i was shooting the ice blocks coming at you sort of the, the aerial cubes um yeah. consistently and it's actually a lot easier just to spear them like get a spear and then poke them and i did that on like the last couple wait really, really. just melee style before yeah just they melee hit style like wait till it gets near you and then the spear is so long you can just jab them wow and, oh god i didn't even think of that that's crazy and i mean it was very easy once i worked out how to do that because i was getting through arrows and i was eventually gonna have to use the wrong type of arrows oh god i don't want to waste my arrows yeah you never want to waste arrows in this game it's all oh I'd god rather... that's such a precious resource right. um and then on like the reverse ones that i was bombing them i worked that out quite quickly it was very very satisfying on top of that the fact that if you miss you've got both your circular bombs and the cube bombs means yes you can switch between them you can switch between them and there are a couple of shrines i've come across where you have to use both of those types of bombs and that's a really satisfying thing when you figure that little uh quirk out Uh, and then of course swimming up the side of ruta and then the slow motion yeah like bow and arrow that you do so often in this game apparently i mean very early on you hardly ever do it but i i've done it all the time dude i I haven't even worked out until that thing in relation to mount lanary which we can maybe talk about spoiler sure yeah yeah with or without later but um i didn't even realize that like essentially it's only when you've either vaulted off a horse vaulted up from um uh swimming with the Zora armor or vaulting like with the glider those are like the three ways to get the the slow motion for the parry essentially it's essentially anytime you're in the air and pull out your bow it it works so Uh, as long as you have the stamina can i mention the shrine that i I think you probably have discovered okay yeah go ahead so it's it's this area in the northeast it's it's near is it called kalaka karak Lakaka. Akala, you know the the northeast region. 
Akala. Akala? Yeah. Yeah. It's the one with the lab, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, Akala. So there's like this area where there's a deep, deep valley. And it was, my shrine meter was just like beeping constantly. I'm like, where on earth do you go? And then I like run around. I go to the bottom of the valley, look all the way up, and I see like a bomb a bombable area i'm like oh my god that must be it so i have to like teleport back to the shrine like near this shrine mm-hmm. get on my horse ride back and then i just jump off the cliff glide i'm gliding down and then i i'm facing the the bo- the bombable bit and then i just get out like a bomb arrow smash it turn my glider back on and glide into the the, the sort of crevice i've created in the shrine nice. right there it was just so satisfying on, on top of that that was one of those shrines where you um you're rewarded just for discovering it there's nothing right to do for blowing shrine. up the wall yeah so, sorry to derail from our zora story no. but no totally like a- epic moments like that I just, deserve to be uh so <laughs> many epic moments yeah. but yeah no they totally happen no so here's a really cool thing about that lead up to the dungeon is i was on gaff today like there's a thread uh at the moment which is that you can do that in zelda you know is it's been constant there's so many weird things about this game that people are constantly discovering the thread's and called you can do that in zelda. you can do what in zelda yeah i think something along those lines and someone was saying in that thread that those cubes of water that get thrown you know how cryonis you can you know you can build up you know uh things from the water but you, when you click on one of those it gives you the option to break it oh you, you can just have cryonics you and just break me? those i just smash them you. yeah oh, you just god. point the cryonics at it and you just oh smash them. oh my god <laughs> that's crazy right like it's fucking awesome what i've got a uh, question i've got a question i've got a question yeah what can you stasis and not stasis when it comes to enemies can you stasis okay. like a guardian <laughs> um so I don't know if you have the upgraded stasis or not. That's the question, Valor. Oh, okay. So, so mm. I'm not going to say anything more, but that's right. all I'm going to we'll say. leave it there, I guess. Um, but in terms of stasising things, so a really fucking annoying thing happened just before we started recording. Um, so a random Yiga person started attacking me, and I was like, okay, I'm going to beat this person. And I beat them over this tiny little um, kind of caravan area. You, know, you see these around the world, like broken down mm. things, which are kind of stuck into the ground. They're not like physics-based. You can't move them or anything. They're just like part of the environment. And they dr- usually drop a bunch of rupees. And this one dropped like three purple rupees. I'm like, fuck yes, 150 rupees. And they were stuck underneath this fucking thing. So I couldn't actually get to them. I was like really annoyed. So I'm trying to think of different ways to um, to get them. And one of the ways I was like, I wonder if I can stasis and then put a bomb and use the force to blow it out of the space. So I get my stasis rune out. And sure enough, you can stasis fucking rupees if you want oh to. Oh my God. Um, which is crazy. Uh, unfortunately the area that it was stuck in i couldn't get a bomb in the right position to uh you know get the trajectory so it would force itself out so i i lost a bunch of rupees sadly bali but um just the notion that you can stasis rupees it doesn't like why would you do that just because you can i don't know fucking crazy so ruta what yeah so the dungeon what were I think your initial we need to impressions? talk about the dungeon structure and, and the way it works because uh, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. The dungeons are all work very similarly in this game. I think you could probably assume that from yeah. going through this one. It is a very different style to any previous Zelda, and 
I personally think it is fascinating and incredibly complicated, but really fun and like challenging in a very different way from how Zelda dungeons are usually challenging. Um, and so the whole idea is you're rotating different parts or like moving different parts to create different effects within the dungeon. And in this case, you have the elephant's trunk, which can be put at various different angles, and water that flows out of it will then create, you know, uh, pushing water wheels certain ways, or, um, you know, putting out different elements and things like that. Like, depending on where you are, that water is going to be applied to different parts of the beast, and it allows you to find the five different terminals which then activates the main thing and that basically triggers the boss so the the thing with these these dungeons is like the rest of this game you can basically do all these terminals in any order you see fit Mm. Uh, it doesn't really matter where you go first um, just as long as you, you know you get it done that's fine and then you go to the end um, and I love that approach because, especially in this dungeon, there was one that I was like, the, the very beginning, the small wheel that's just rotating around. I'm really thinking about it. I'm like, I don't really know what to do here. Maybe it's the elephant's water needs to get on it some way so I can move it around. And I just left that one for a while. And I was like going through the entire dungeon. I'd done all the other ones. In the end, I'm like, how do I do this? I'm like getting up on top and like trying to figure out. And I'm like, oh, wait oh i've uh, the cryonis can be used on sideways water and so that water that's spilling oh, no. out which i did is... that one first see that's the funny thing i hadn't worked out the thing about the water at all and so that one naturally is spinning anyway with the the default position i believe and i was just yes like, ah there we go cryonis sideways got that one and and yeah. then i thought right but how do i get any of these other cogs moving and i thought you got yeah. in the you got in the in the cog itself and started getting out of the stasis and trying to knock the weight about and get that to roll. I was like, no, yes, it's like fixed. And then I realized that the door to gain the power of Bruta in the first place is a door sitting in water. And I thought that there was something later in the dungeon I had to do in order for that door to open. It turns right. out, yes. You're meant to use Cryonis. I would actually walk up to it with stasis and just wham on the door for ages. Oh, and then wow. It, it, would, it would shoot up for a second. I'd run through and shoot back down again. And then I I gained power of Ruta, obviously, through that door. And then I realized on the way out of the door, I was like, oh, I can just Cryonis it, can't I? It just raises Wait, so water. you actually got in by using stasis? I got into that door using stasis. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> That's insane! It's ridiculous. What the hell? I How guarantee I got into that door using stasis. Bally, wow. God, like, this is the thing about this game. I'm like, how did you even do that? That's fucking insane. Um, no, because one of the early dun- uh, shrines you go through requires you to use Cryonis to lift a door. And I also had trouble because I, I f- had forgotten about that. Mm. And and then I was thinking, oh, wait, it's in water. Like, obviously, like, that's the thing that I the thing that I think I forget the most in this game is, oh, water. I can use the yeah. Cryonis rune. And like, that was a thing. And I was listening to uh, player one podcast uh, yesterday, whatever. 
and they were talking about that shrine that is by that stable uh the dueling peaks like you go through the dueling peaks and get to that stable and there's a shrine with all these spikes around it right Right, and all of them they're like oh how did you get to that and they're all like yeah you just you have to climb up the cliff and like float down and i'm like screaming at my podcast it's like no you just need to use cryonics but we both did that didn't we 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 both glided didn't no i didn't i used cryonics i I glided as well Well, there you go, Val. I'm shouting at you as well. It's like, yeah. oh, the water is right there. Use cryonis to get on top and just in. Like, way simpler than climbing a whole cliff face and then gliding down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, great that the game allows you to do that. It's absolutely mm. it's fantastic. Um, but then, you know, okay, so this whole idea of the map then. Uh, I knew as soon as I saw the, my first one, the Gerudo map, I was like, Bally's going to fucking love this. This is Metroid oh, Prime, boy. essentially. Yeah. Um, so it's how did you map. feel about this whole, like, this whole manipulation mechanic uh, where the dungeon is under your control, essentially, and you are getting around it by, you know, figuring out where the trunk is going and all that stuff? I love the look of the map. I love that. I'm going to, I don't want you to, answer my question but i'm gonna guess ruta is one of the more simple in dungeons and especially in terms of the the parts of its body that move i think the trunk is just so cool and so simple but it works so well and i love the fact that there's like one of the points you're meant to get is on the end of the trunk and then there's one on top and then there's one at like a level in the middle and you have to you actually have to use the about three or four different uh points of the trunk extension to complete this dungeon and beyond that it's the whole time you're in this dungeon it doesn't feel enclosed it feels incredibly open and like you can just jump off and glide to another bit of the world if you wanted to like it the, the fact- see about that i'm not sure if that's actually the case um you because if you and i you know i fell into the water outside the dungeon a few times and every time that happens you die basically and it respawns you at the top okay um and that makes sense right because getting into the dungeon was a pain in itself and once you're in there it kind of resumes its activities as like a, a kind of you know it's it's harder to um get in there because i think the elevator that you were on like lifts back up to the top right so you couldn't get back in there easily unless uh. you i mean it has um it has a shrine thing that you can teleport to i believe so you mm. can teleport in and out of it but i i i do love the idea that it is cased within the world and you kind of are outside as in like normal outside but I do think that that is maybe closed off a little bit, unfortunately. Oh, a breaking yeah. of the immersion as it is. Yeah, I mean, um, it's still awesome. Even to be able to look of... out to the world around you inside a dungeon like that. There's some Zelda dungeons that have done that in the past. So I think of Tower of the Gods, for example, but it's right. a lot less complicated. Like, it's, yeah. I just loved, I felt really grounded in the world around me by just simply being able to see it and i enjoyed this dungeon so much once i sussed that issue initially that took me good 20 minutes i had 30 minutes to work out i just went to all the points uh got onto the boss which we can maybe talk about and and then yeah yeah wrapped up and yeah yeah i i I really loved the like gliding to the end of the trunk and like resetting it and then like sitting in the thing until it like got back where it was like there's this whole area on the top of the elephant which has a bunch of malice on it 
and uh i needed to kill one of the eyeballs to get access to a treasure chest so like i went to both sides and i kept fucking up and i was like i kept reloading at the top of the thing because i just fell in the water every time i was mm. being like a bit um a bit hasty about it I wasn't you know being too patient so uh i eventually got it sorted and then i think my favorite moment is when you open those doors and there's just fire around the last thing and you're like oh like i have to get it at the right angle so the water just falls oh, like onto the fire down onto that fire for some reason i was like i was already up high and then i saw it down there and i changed the trunk put it out and then went down like on top of it oh really so yeah. you'd already put the fire out by the time right, you got yeah. in there oh interesting that's man that's really weird because i uh, i had to open a, a door using magnesis like rotating a thing um oh so God. that's very interesting really? i don't know uh but yeah so i i am i've been a fan of both those dungeons this one is definitely simpler um it took me less time to do uh and i think i've, I've heard people say that the gerudo one is the most complicated and hardest so i might have already peaked yeah <laughs> as, i think as it were. The, i think naturally it the map is designed to go anti-clockwise isn't it you start in kakariko yeah. you work away northeast north northwest west southwest keep going so yeah i mean if you if you're kind of following story wise that probably right. makes and I, i'm actually going to go for that i'm in the process of i've done yeah. east now I'm going northeast and then i'm going to keep going and that'll lead me to the gorons i'm kind of doing an s i guess like going for gerudo and bouncing and you know going to just being crazy and open world centric yeah. you, you, yeah. you love it um so the boss uh is Weird. something that i think yeah and i think it's kind of obvious hey it's probably the archetype going forward for all these dungeons is like uh what element are you well it's this blank blight ganon you know like i think that's probably pretty obvious um and fighting it was really weird for me because i was incredibly overpowered and i essentially beat it in the span of less than a minute and the only reason i know that is because i activated like an elixir that gave me toughness to like take more hits and the elixir was five minutes long and by the time it was all over and i was going back to the the brain thing to like scan my sheikah slate i still had four minutes left of that elixir so i kind of fucking destroyed this boss i think it helped that i have the master sword at this point so uh that really does a number on him um and i had like still 40 shock arrows so i was just absolutely just going ham and didn't have much trouble with him yeah i had Um, where the gerudo one gave me a lot of problems and has a very interesting quirk to it so i had a very powerful bow uh, and a good number of uh, shock arrows and yeah there's sort of phases where it's in the water and you can just stand out of the water and shoot like next to it in the water and the fact that it's in the water does more damage and so on yep. i i sort of took a few heavy hits i had to use quite a bit of food but it wasn't too difficult and i think they design. it's almost like they, they designed that boss where it is fairly beatable even with a very low number of hearts if you know what you're doing and then likewise if you have a high number of hearts or you have an even higher number of hearts and even more weapons like yourself mbz it is considerably easier on top of that and that's just i guess the nature of this game yeah it's hard to balance that stuff i feel i think it could have been cool if they maybe scaled the bosses with you 
um, in the sense that maybe their defenses matched kind of if they looked at like the average level of the weapons you kind of had and the gear that you were using if they mm. had an algorithm that scaled that would then, maybe then make things better why bother the weapons in the first place like, yeah right I yeah and then that kind of defeats the it's point it's impossible I, you can't win either way I guess and, uh, yeah yeah it's interesting but like you know, I've I've already had a really tough boss battle my first time. So you know, you everyone's going to have that, Un- yeah. unless you're the sort of person who goes around the entire map and gets all the heart pieces and all this shit, and then goes for your first dungeon. Yeah, yeah you're you're going to have that experience at least once, I think. Um, and I think we both had like the same number of hearts for our first dungeon, like seven or whatever it was. But um, I mean, the advantage permanently of doing something like this dungeon, and I don't know the case with Gerudo, but. Mifa's grace is just oh, like yeah. incredible. Like it's great, it's so good. And, like, it's a big benefit that you have for the the rest of the game, the, the open world you're exploring by doing that dungeon. It's not just a heart contend you're getting; you're getting this really powerful power up that I was I thought was so good that it, um, you could only use it once. And you told me, "Oh no, Valley, you can you just recharge it. it. Takes like twenty minutes to recharge." I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is like the best thing ever." And in the context of this game, 20 minutes evaporates, right? right? Like, and you're you're not going to be in combat encounters all the time. So it's likely that you'll have, you know, you'll die and then you'll get it and you'll get the temporary hearts. And then you're probably wandering around the world for 20 minutes and it'll just recharge before you even probably enter your next combat encounter. So to some degree, it seems maybe a little overpowered, but... You know, it's definitely a great reward, I think, for beating the dungeon. And it's interesting because beating dungeons, I was worried, I was wondering, uh, am I going to get a heart container for doing this? Because the way this game works is a little different. Like, I was going to, I was wondering if I was going to get to choose between a stamina upgrade and a heart container. But no, it's traditional, gives you a heart container at the end. Um, so that's cool. And uh, that actually made me go a bit more into stamina when I'm doing my sh- uh, shrine stuff. So I'm like, well, I'm guaranteed an extra four hearts from this game, right? Mm. Uh, because of these dungeons. Um, and, you know, that's that's helped somewhat. But overall, I just think uh, these dungeons in premise are incredibly cool. And they break with convention, but they also still feel like a Zelda dungeon. They you know? do. Like, they do. Um, and, and ultimately, you're just performing traditional zelda puzzles just on a kind of a different scale i guess it's it, the the number of rooms in in ruta is very low there's like if the, yeah the that's the one thing i would small. say is that these dungeons feel very uh confined they they don't have like wide maps that you are you know looking at constantly and figuring out what floor you're on like there's usually just like one giant room and then a few different ones scattered around and I really like the fact that it's to scale, you know, like it is mm. essentially the size of what this thing is. And, and that's um, the great thing about all these buildings we've been in in the, in the whole game. There's no there's no TARDIS rooms. There's no oh, right. r- rooms that you go in and then they're actually bigger on the inside. It's, it's a very small thing. But the fact that you can just walk into a building and there's no load time and the door just opens and you're in. It's a huge deal. And you know, it, like it and just, that sort of subtle thing that kind of breaks it apart from a lot of these open world games. Like the lack of those loading screens makes a huge difference, and it makes it feel more real. Just being and the the external architecture of those buildings is a lot more effort put in in, in terms of their size and the placement right. of where they are in a town, for example. Like like the, the house that input is in, like it is it's the biggest building in Kakariko, but it's also the biggest on the inside and that you can feel that when you go in and you see her and there's like a, a, an upstairs and a downstairs or whatever and like it, it works and 
these dungeons are just doing that again like how how do you create a dungeon that relates to the overworld but also keep it confined oh well let's make these massive beasts that walk about and can relate to the story and walk around the overworld but you can still go inside them and complete an entire dungeon like it's a great way of incorporating that mechanic of keeping away from tardises uh into the dungeons absolutely um it's just it's very exciting it's very cool and yeah the rewards are very interesting um and i uh i'm looking forward to doing the the last two but you know it's the kind of thing i want to save them ballet to some degree like i just i don't feel like it's right for me to just barge through this game and obviously i'm not barging through i'm 60 hours in and i've only done two dungeons yeah um but you know i've got to the rito village and i'm like ah yeah, I'm just going to leave this until I feel like, you know, going and progressing yeah. it because there's still so much to do and so much to see. And exactly. before we close, Bali, I want there's a couple of stories I want to uh, tell that I've been kind of, uh, you know, on my adventures. Um, so one happened yesterday when I was looking for a shrine and um, it was a shrine quest involving me needing to get on top of an animal, right? Okay. Oh, and uh, I, I was fucking up so bad. I'd, I drank stealth potions, but fucking the sensitivity on trying to approach this thing was ridiculous. I'm like, God damn it. Like, how am I going to get on this thing without any problems? And this valley is the one time in the game, the one time that the rain mechanic has been to my benefit because in the rain it masks your footsteps oh my better. god that uh, is so they fantastic. can't hear you as well so i i'm literally like down to my last stamina potion i'm so close to this thing i'm like i can't, please like every time i inch it just fucking pops its head up and like looks around i'm like fuck like every time i touch the analog stick and i'm inching the fu- over the period of like five minutes just inching and then the heavens open and the rains come down i'm like oh thank you and i fucking get on top and and tame it and do the quest and i'm like oh my god yes felt so good so that's the one time that rain has helped me in this entire game. i wonder if there's like an actual rain god in the game that noticed you'd failed so many times and maybe like, bring down the rain yeah it's uh it's really really weird um and then okay so there was this uh this shrine that was stuck in an ice block and i was very low on fire arrows i didn't really have anything that could melt it properly uh but i had realized that if you carry a fire rod on you not even using it just like having it equipped to your back it gives off heat and this had helped me get through some of the snowy areas because i didn't really want to cook some food or whatever i had um i had an uh one piece of clothing that basically did cold resistance but it wasn't enough because you know some areas it's way too cold if you just have a fire rod equipped it just warms you up like that's crazy right it's awesome but also so you need to fight with it i guess you don't need yeah you don't need to fight with it at all okay Um, but i mean like if if you're up uh a snowy peak and then there's enemies and you've only got right fire yeah rod, you're gonna yes you right. you'd have to switch to another item and then probably you know eat some food to, to yeah, maintain that heat potentially yeah if you didn't want to waste the fire rod that is uh but what i found out is like just crouching near objects that are ice with this equipped melts them and so i literally sat 
for 15 minutes next to this shrine what? as this as this fire rod on my back melted no. all the ice around this minutes. shrine yes i just i left my switch i just sat it there and the fucking thing melted and i unlocked the shrine i was like this game is fucking awesome it really wasn't worth just going to kakarika buying a fire arrow and coming back was it well, you know, one fire arrow wouldn't do it, Bali. This was an entire shrine oh, that was encapsulated. That's why I was saying like, I only had three fire arrows on me, and that wouldn't have done the job. Cool. And from experience, having used the fire rod, it hardly takes any of the ice away when it does. So just sitting there, and I was watching the pixels just fucking move at uh, this glacial pace, pun totally intended, uh, <laughs> across across the screen uh, as, the, as the shrine like broke down. Um, and then my last one, <laughs> it's a little bit of a long story, but okay. there is this shrine quest where you, you know, you often, you often find these ones where you're t- carrying this ball and you have to get this ball in this slot. And the ball was quite far away from where it needed to be put. It was in this area, which you might have seen. It's kind of this swirling sand area. It kind of swirls around um, to a point. Oh, and uh, is that how that works? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, mm, <laughs> that's how that works. Um, and essentially, I think the idea is you're supposed to walk around with the thing around this entire circle till you get to the center. And I was like, nah, fuck that, because there's going to be enemies in the way, and I'm going to have to kill oh, a bunch boy. of enemies yeah. to get there. So I decided to circumvent it. I go around the side. I find this little bay area, and there's a there's a, a raft there. And I get on the on raft. The raft. I put the thing on the raft and I start like using my kakiri leaf to w- waft along. But every time I waft, it fucking pushes the ball off as well. I'm like, fuck. And every time this happens, like I have to put my cryonis rune out, like lift it underneath the ball, climb on top, get the ball back and put it on. And all this time I'm like, how do I like make this work? So I stasis rune the ball. So I'm like, okay, it's going to stay on this thing. I'll stasis it and then I'll move and then I'll, it'll be fine. So I stasis the ball on the raft and I go to use my Korok leaf and move the boat. And the boat just moves, leaving the fucking ball just hanging over the ocean because it's just frozen there. It's not frozen on top of the raft. Oh, it's just goodness. fucking frozen there. So I can't move it using stasis. So I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, and so I get it back. I'm like, eventually I'm like, okay, let me think about this. And so what I do is I place the ball in front of the raft so I'm pushing it as I go. So essentially I have this raft pushing this ball, getting to the edge, and then I get to the kind of sand dune area that I need to go over, go over it, get to the other side, and like, okay, the raft isn't with me anymore, so now I just need to use Cryonis. And I'm like trying to build like runes as I go, like little jumps, like holding it over my head. And then I'm like, no, what I really need to do is just fucking throw this thing as far as I can, then use Cryonis to pick it up and then just glide to that. So I figure out doing that. And eventually, after all this fucking kerfuffle, I I could have just walked around with these enemies, but no, I had to do it my own way. I fucking get it there. And, uh,. That's just my story of just trying a bunch of stupid shit and none of it working and eventually futzing my way to a solution. And that's just this game in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, and it is fucking beautiful. And I continue to adore it and joy. Joy. So much joy I've had. So much. Um, so, so much more joy go. to come. I know. God, it continues. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do next time on the show, Bally, if we're going to because um, you're probably going to be playing a bit of snipper clips. I have in, just in downloaded the snipper clips. I know I said I might do play a bit for this time, but you know, there's this little thing called Zelda just got in the way. Yeah, and, I know. know. <laughs> we are recording a little early, so I'll hopefully play some of that this weekend. And 
um, yeah, it should be good. Great. Um, so that's uh, basically going to wrap up the show for us this week. Um, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed. Uh, hopefully, you know, you skipped over that stuff if you didn't want to hear it. <laughs> but uh, uh, come back eventually because, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to talk about all these cool things in this game. And uh, we will continue to do so. You can find us in many places on the internet. Bally, where can people find you? Please find me on Twitter. I'm at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. That is also my name on the Miiverse, but that is not important anymore. Um, no. <laughs> I have pinned my Switch FC at the top of the, my Twitter uh, feed. So give me a follow on Twitter. Check out my friend code on there and you can add me on Switch. Um, I don't know what it does yet, but I'm sure when Splatoon 2 or something comes along, we can all have a good time. Oh, Bally, you just reminded me. We'll probably be talking about Splatoon 2 right. on the next episode. That's the end of uh, March, isn't it? Yeah, Global Test Fire is happening. So I'm excited for that. That'll be good fun. Um, something to you know keep us busy in the interim. Something um, on very, Switch very cool. that isn't Zelda. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Uh, so yeah, you can find me at LordNBZ on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast. It has its own Twitter account. That's at TNL Podcast. And that's where all our various things go up. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well, which is youtube.com slash this Nintendo Life. Various Let's Plays and discussions we're, we're, and podcasts we're doing, goes up there. We're doing a Let's Play of the the last open world Zelda game, MBZ. Fuck you. Um, the Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. <laughs> yes we're playing wind waker uh it's fun it's it's stupid i'm bad uh it's i blame the lag but we'll, we'll fix that for next time uh and uh yeah you can subscribe there there's, there's great stuff always happening uh we also have an email address where you can email all your questions thoughts and concerns uh bali what is that our email address is this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com we want to know what your experiences are of switch when you're going to get one have you got one already what do you think of zelda have you played something that's not zelda shock horror yeah uh send those in we always appreciate getting them uh, especially from new listeners that's always a good thing and apparently we have a few new listeners so uh if you've uh, just joined the show and you would like welcome. to send in your thoughts yeah welcome and uh, we hope you've uh, enjoyed your time and we'll continue to do so uh and yeah you can find the show in various places we're on itunes we're on stitcher you know any place good podcasts are sold uh you can review us on itunes right now that would be really useful be really handy because lots of people are getting switches there are probably people looking for nintendo podcasts to listen to so uh you know we're ratings and reviews on, we're almost on 40 reviews on the oh. us itunes 40 so man if that's you live what? in the us be that one that makes a difference yeah make the difference uh push us up the rankings and uh, more people uh can surface this show listen to it all that good stuff and uh yeah i think that's pretty much it bali anything else to close with i just need to go back and play some more zelda so i'll be seeing you all right well uh yes i'll, I'll my switch is literally sitting right next to me so oh, i'm gonna so glide good. glide off into the distance and uh, we'll see you next time uh, with another exciting episode you can glide okay you do that i've got my shield ready here we go all right, off your off your pop. Uh, yes, we'll see you next time on another exciting episode of this Nintendo Life. Goodbye, everyone.
The musical interlude used on today's show was an acoustic guitar cover of the main theme from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, did they say they're working on one right now? Well, I mean, that shitty single is from the new oh, album. Oh, fuck. Oh, no, Bali, you just reminded me they're bad, no! Oh, that's a, that's no. the slow single. They've got still got oh, to release the fast no, single. Oh, Bali, I'm so sad, no! Why? <laughs> they were the chosen ones. <laughs> they were supposed to just release the same music forever and I was supposed to love it. But no. It was a slow a single. Sh- They've still not done a fast single. No, it wasn't just a slow single. It was a shitty-ass fucking synthy-ass, poppy-ass fucking... Uh. Oh, you think it was more than just slow? It was actually a different style. I think it might be the Tonight Alive effect, and I'm... That's uh, what I call it now, the Tonight the Alive effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all-time low used to be yeah. fast. <laughs>